Let's pray together, please. Our ship seems small and frail, but you, O oh God, are with us through all of the many changing experiences of life. And so, we gather this day to worship you, to reorient our lives around you, and to hear that one word through a prayer, through a scripture, through a sermon, through a hymn that will transform us, strengthen us, equip us to be the women and men that you're calling us to be. In the name of the living word, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Earlier this month when Ray Bradbury, the great writer, passed away, I realized I myself had never read one of his books and so always wanting to keep up. I went to the library a week ago or so and checked out a collection of his short stories It didn't take me long before I came across a story called The Island. Set off the, just off the coast of Michigan, the story of a woman and her three adult children who live on this sparsely populated island. Something has made this woman deeply afraid in her past. So that now she refuses to put her money in the bank for fear there'll be another depression and crash. She's afraid to have electricity because she wants to be beholding to no one. She had a telephone for a while but decided that no one wanted to call her. She didn't want to talk to anyone so she had the phone canceled. Every door in the house, this three-story house, every door had at least five locks on it. And every room in the house had a loaded gun ready just in case. One snowy night, the dreaded sound was finally heard, a window crashing. The three children, all in different rooms, different floors of the house, froze where they were. The mother, paralytic, in her bed called out, Children, someone come lock my door. Get your guns. They began to hear things. They began to hear someone creeping first down one floor and then another. They began to see the doorknob turn. They grabbed the gun. They made their way over and finally started shooting and shooting. And at last, one of the daughters decided to run for help. She jumped out a window, ran and got the authorities. But when she returned with the authorities, it was unclear Whose footprints were those little footprint? And where was the intruder? And it left the reader questioning. Was there ever an intruder? The story invites us to think on the question, what happens to our lives if our fears get the better of us? The truth of the matter is we're all afraid of something. We're all afraid of something, somewhere. My friend Jeff Hale is one of these guys who flies airplanes. He drives motorcycles way too fast. He leaps tall buildings with a single bound. He bends steel with his bare hands. But he told me one day, I would never become a deacon 
because I would be way too afraid to stand up in front of a group of people and talk. How do you do that every week, he asked me. Talk in front of people. Jeff Hale's afraid of something. Kids are afraid of things. They're afraid of the boogeyman. They're afraid of what's out there in the dark. Teenagers are afraid. If you were with our youth group or any youth group last week at camp, you would know quickly they're all afraid of looking a little different, right? They can look different as long as it's different like everyone else. But to stand out in the crowd, to be different, oh, oh. We adults, we're afraid. We're afraid of our security. We're afraid sometimes for our health. We're afraid of aging. We're afraid personally. We're certainly afraid politically. The country we live in has a political system that's basically running and operating these days on fear. It is so very important no matter who we are and how old we are, to identify our fear. Because if we're unaware of our fears, those fears can begin to dominate how we think, how we act, how we react, and possibly, as the Bradbury story suggests, even begin to create its own reality. Create its own reality. I want to be clear this morning that Jesus, in saying, don't be afraid did not mean there's nothing to be afraid of. He wasn't saying, oh, you old scaredy pants, there's nothing here. There are things that will derail us, things that will alter our lives and change our paths in this world. And so the invitation, I think, from Jesus is not to try to create a fear-free world, Nor is it to create an illusion in our minds whereby we can live with a sense of bravado that we're okay, we're insulated. I think Jesus is asking us, what are we going to do with our fears? The scriptures we've read this morning are stories in contrast. There are the disciples... And there's David. The disciples who represent the church on the troubled waters are afraid. They feel helpless because Jesus is asleep. The Hebrew people in the story from 1 Samuel are much like the disciples. They are afraid because the Philistines have come and they're like giants. Goliath is 10 feet tall. But there's one, a representative of new Israel, Who's not afraid of Goliath? The disciples, on the one hand, say, God doesn't care, apparently. God's asleep. The Holy One is asleep while we have needs. We are abandoned. We are alone. And by contrast, David says, I'm not afraid. The one who was with me when the lion attacked, the one who was with me when the bear attacked, will be with me when I face Goliath. The the disciples, veteran fishermen, spent their life on the Sea of Galilee, know about these storms, and yet because of their fear, all of their skills, all of their intuition is paralyzed. 
They're unable to do what they know how to do best because of their fear. And on the other hand, here's David, who rejects Saul's armor and takes what he does best, his skills as a shepherd boy, and takes him into the battle and kills the giant. So the moral of this story is obvious. Let's all now leave this place and trust in God. Why don't we sing a closing hymn and we'll be dismissed. Oh, if it were only so easy. This trusting in God, can we at least admit that trusting in God is harder than it sounds? That there's this call to learn and relearn that capacity to trust in one whom we believe is real and ever-present. And yet, at the same time, not always on our minds, not always right there close when we think we need God. So we have to learn and relearn the truth that we may or may not feel in any given moment, to have confidence in this one who, as I said last week, doesn't choose the starring role on Broadway, but rather serves more like the usher in the community theater, in the background, away, but ever-present. So can we at least admit that trusting God is harder than it sounds. And lest we think that we are alone in this challenge, surrounded by these stained glass windows with the cloud of witness, let's remember that every single one of these people who surround us had both those times when they got it right and those times when they got it wrong, those times when they believed and those times when they forgot. David, the great king in the window, believed that day when he faced Goliath, but other days had his times of great failure. The disciples on either side of me, that day at the Sea of Galilee, forgot. They lost their grip. They lost their faith. But they had other moments where they shined like the sun. And their story is our story. As one old monk said, here's what we do in the monastery We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. There is something that we can do to transform our fears, though. And you're doing it right now. You're here in this place, in this hour where God is named, where faith is celebrated and considered and appropriated once again. You're here right now where the realities of life are recognized, but courage is also cultivated. And so we gather here to practice our faith. We come into this place to worship God, but also to practice the faith. Do you remember the event some three years ago that they called the Miracle on the Hudson? The U.S. airline flight that took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City 
on its way to Charlotte, North Carolina, when no sooner had they lifted off than they hit a large flock of geese, and both engines went out on this huge aircraft. You probably remember Captain Sullenberger, Sully, who had just a few moments to decide, what am I going to do? What decision will I make? There's one of two airports I may be able to get to, he thought. There's the New Jersey Turnpike. I could, I could try to land on it, but not without a lot of trouble. Or I can turn this thing around, take a sharp turn to the left, and land it right in the Hudson River. He had two or three minutes to do a number of very strategic things. He had to shut down the engines. He had to set his speed and get the plane gliding. He had to get the nose down just right, but then at the critical moment, pop it back up again. He had to disconnect the autopilot and seal all of the the places and the ports where the, the plane would take in air so that when they hit the water, it would be waterproof. He had to get the plane headed south so that it would go with the flow of the Hudson River. And while I do appreciate sort of the religious shout-out of those who came up with the headline, Miracle on the Hudson, what really happened was the result of a man who showed up for flight school day after day, who studied hard, who, who memorized some boring statistics, who honed his craft and worked on the basics week after week, month after month, year after year, but never grew tired of them so that going to work just seemed perfunctory. He acquired these habits. We might even call them virtues so that he could transform the fear of that moment into what we now call the miracle on the Hudson. That is what we seek to do in this place. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, to cultivate the kind of moral intelligence and and honest spiritual awareness by singing the songs of faith and telling the stories of Jesus and saying our prayers and practicing this faith so that it becomes a kind of second nature to us. So that in that moment, that unpredictable moment when the storm suddenly comes up or the giant comes out of the crowd at us, taunting us, we will be able to access that kind of spiritual strength that transforms our fears into miracle. It's not magic. And it's not mental manipulation. It's miracle, the miracle of habit. And so this morning I want to put a plug in for the regular worship of God. We live in a culture these days that considers regular church attendance to be something like twice a month. If you go twice a month, many people think they're active in church. If that's all you're able to come to church, 
Come, be with us. But let's make the regular habit of honing our faith week in and week out, coming to Bible study, doing Bible study on our own, a part of who we are. It is to practice God's presence that allows us to face each situation more fully, and I would even say more gracefully, to not only be the skilled shepherd or the ship pilot that we might be, but to walk into every situation convinced, converted to the truth that we're not alone, that God is with us, and that God will use what we have and who we are to do what needs to be done. You remember the old movie, The Wizard of Oz, where the scarecrow was going to the great and wonderful wizard, to try to get a brain. And the tin man was going to try to get a heart. And the lion, the character that initially acted so brave, but in fact was a coward, went to the wizard asking for courage. The wizard says to the lion, there's not a living thing that's not afraid when it faces danger. True courage is in facing our dangers when we are afraid. To have them transformed, changed by the power and the presence of one who is with us. Wonderful Kentucky author Barbara Kingsolver wrote a small book called Animal Dreams some years ago. It was set in the 1980s, the story of these two sisters, Cody, who had gone to medical school but lived her life just so fearfully. She couldn't enter into deep and intimate relationships. She couldn't really get into her career. She just always lived hesitantly. Cody and her sister, Hallie. Hallie had was one of those people who seemed to be able to seize life without any fear. She had studied biology, and after college, she had gone off to Nicaragua to help the farmers learn about crop production, but also to stand with them in that terrible war that went on for decades. They would write letters back and forth. Cody, the cautious one, asked Allie, Allie, what if we lose this war? Hallie writes back, well, we could. What keeps you going isn't some fine destination, but just the road you're on and the fact that you know how to drive. You keep your eyes open, and you ask, what life can I bring that will let me breathe in and out and love something or somebody and not run off screaming in the woods? Here's what I've decided, says Hallie. The least you can do, the least you can do in your life is to figure out what you hope for. And the most you can do is to live into that hope. Not admire it from a distance, but live right into it. Live under its roof. Right now, she says, I'm living into that hope running down its hallways and touching the walls on both sides, and I can't tell you how good it feels. Well, she's overcome her fears. She's still afraid. 
But she's transformed that fear into living. It would be great for our outreach ministry, great for sales, so to speak, if we could make a promise this morning that everything will come out right. That if you'll trust in God like David, the stone will always hit its mark and the giant will always fall. But that's not the way it works. Hallie disappears mysteriously in Nicaragua. They find her later with a bullet through her head. She may have died. But first, she lived. She lived her life. And she lived it to the fullest. She lived because hope transformed her fear into courage to live before she died. And I think that's the invitation for you and me. When Jesus asked the disciples, Why are you afraid? He did not say it with a tone of judgment and belittling, but rather with a tone of invitation to come and bring your fears and let his love transform those fears into courage. And today you and I hear that same question being asked in our life situation. Why are you afraid? Will you trust me? Let's pray together. We are grateful, O oh God, for these moments of ritual and community where we say the words of faith and we live out what it means in this particular form. But we know that there is this form of worship and then there is the worship that is our very lives that beckons us when this hour is over. Real challenges. Individually, as a church, as a people of faith, as a nation, Will you please, O oh God, transform our fears into courage by your love, knowing that you are always and ever with us. In the name of the one who sent the Spirit, even Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.